such a privilege to be able to open God's Word uh, with you tonight. Uh, like Josh just said, uh, this Josh, I'm from Stapleton Baptist Church, been pastoring there uh, for four years now. If you're not familiar, Stapleton is in Baldwin County. I know we live in a huge, a huge county. We're uh, right in between Spanish Fort and Baymanette. So we're up on the, uh, the north side of the, uh, the interstate up there. Um, and, and yeah, tonight is a date night of sorts for me and my wife. Anytime, uh, our, our, our four kids are nine and under, so anytime we're out of the house, just us, it is a date night no matter where we're at or what we're doing, and we're happy to be able to spend it, spend it with y'all uh, tonight. I'm thankful for Josh's invitation to come. I love hearing of what the Lord has, has done and is doing and will continue to do. Uh, through through the folks here at Alberta Church. It is an incredible story, um, and y'all probably realize that, but sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you don't realize just how unique uh, what has happened here actually is, and it's nothing but a gracious act of God. And Lord willing, God will use this weekend uh, to catalyze even more uh, spiritual growth and and, uh, and more ministry for the kingdom to come here in Alberta and, and beyond. I've been tasked with preaching on the centrality of God's word in the life of a, of a believer. And when Josh sent me that topic, I was thrilled uh, because there's nothing I am more passionate about than God's people getting into God's word. I, I don't think it's by accident that this is the first emphasis in y'all's discipleship weekend because it's from the Word of God that everything else flows in the Christian life. There's never a point in the life of a believer where we can move on from God's Word. We never graduate from the Bible onto something else. It's not like a manual that you flip through once and then put it on the shelf or never even open it at all and just throw it away. It's not a reference book that you just come back to in case you need to look up something in particular but God's word is the very operating system for the Christian life. And not only is God's word able to teach us and inform us, but it's actually alive and powerful as well. God works through his word to mold us and shape us, to prune us. He, he works through his word to comfort, comfort us, encourage us, convict us, equip us. And there's never a point in your walk with Christ where you will need anything less than complete dependence on God's word. So in a way, this is an easy topic uh, for me to preach on. At the, at the same time, it was hard to decide where to preach this from uh, because there's so many places you could turn to in God's word to, to learn about the centrality of God's word. You could turn to, to Hebrews where it's active and living. You could turn to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, or Titus with a continual emphasis on uh, sound doctrine, sound teaching. You could turn to John 1 with the word becoming flesh. You could turn to Psalm 119. You could turn to any of the gospels. You could turn to even Deuteronomy or the prophets. But as I thought about it for a few days, thinking, okay, what, where do I want to come from in the scripture? I finally realized that everything I would want to communicate about the centrality of God's word I think can be summed up in one particular passage, and that is Psalm 1, the very first psalm in the Bible. So if you have a Bible with you, I would invite you to turn with me to Psalm 1 this evening. 
And we'll discover how vital, how indispensable, how irreplaceable the Word of God is in our lives. So if you could follow along with me in Psalm 1, it says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This psalm presents us with a choice. And you could really think of life as one massive series of choices, one massive series of decisions. As I did some research, there's a statistic out there that claims that the average adult makes around 35,000 choices every day. Now, I know that sounds a little ridiculous, maybe a little high, uh, but there was a study from Cornell University, that sounds a little bit more legit, that did find uh, that the average adult makes around 200 decisions each day just regarding food. And now I think, okay, that, that makes a little, bit, a little bit more sense. I can kind of see that. But just think for a moment that every action you take or don't take is a decision, no matter how simple it is. Every word you say or don't say is a choice. You may even decide what thoughts you're going to think or what emotions you're going to feel. Our lives are made up of constant decisions and choices from the beginning to the end. But when it comes down to it, there's one decision, there's one choice that rises above all the rest to become the most important decision you can make. And that's the choice whether or not you're going to follow God's word or not. Will you choose God's way and God's word or will you go your own way? That's the most important decision you could ever make. It's more important than where you're going to go to college. It's more important than what career you're going to choose. It's more important than who you'll marry. It's more important than when you'll retire or when you'll start having kids. No matter how big the decision is in life, there's no decision more important than this one because it will affect every other decision that you make. And we'll see from this psalm that when it comes to God's word and God's ways, this is a binary choice. There's only two options. There's the way of the righteous, and that path we'll see leads to uh, blessing, or there's the path of the wicked. There's the way of the wicked, and that path leads to judgment. This is the fundamental choice of every human being. Do I choose God's way or do I choose my own way? And God's way is synonymous with God's word. So will you choose God's way and God's word or will you choose your own way? You can trace that simple decision throughout all the Bible. Even from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they could choose God's way and trust God's word or they could choose their own way and, and eat of the fruit. And we see they choose their own way and from it bring judgment on them and a curse on the entire creation. Cain, he could choose to heed God's warning and turn from his anger, or he could give in to his jealous anger, and he decides to go his own way and brings judgment on himself. 
during Noah's day. Noah alone walks in the ways of God, and because of that, it, it, God's blessing is on him and his family, and they are spared while the rest of the world faces the judgment of the flood. Abraham had a decision to follow God into a new land, a foreign land where he'd never been or he could stay in his homeland. And thankfully, he followed God and through it received blessing and and through him, the entire world would be blessed. And you could go on and on through the people in the Old Testament and into the new who are faced with that same choice of whether they'll follow God or follow their own way. And then, of course, you come to Jesus who perfectly showed us what it looks like to follow and honor God. And he captured that choice famously in the words, not my will be done, but your will be done. He perfectly followed God. And Psalm 1 is going to describe for us these two different paths. The path, the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous and where both of those paths lead. And the difference is God's word. That is where the two paths divide. You follow his word to the way of the righteous. You reject God's word to the way of the wicked. And the psalm first gives us the way of the righteous in verses 1 through 3. And we find that the way of the righteous is defined not just by what we do, but also by what we don't do. Look at verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And don't miss the significance of the opening line, blessed is the man. And yes, this applies to women as well. This is blessed is the person. And some of you may come from church backgrounds where uh, the term blessing is always associated with things, with material blessings. Even in our world, people have co-opted that term blessing uh, for their own designs. Uh, for several years, back in the, the last decade, it was pretty common for people to use the hashtag blessed on social media. They would post a picture of just about anything they liked on vacation, their family, ice cream, whatever made them happy, whatever good thing that they were enjoying, and they had put hashtag blessed because the blessed life had something to do with something good that has happened to them or something they're enjoying in the moment. There's clearly an association with that word and something good we receive or experience. But is that what the Bible is talking about when it says blessed is the man, blessed is the woman? Most of the time when the Bible talks about the blessed person, it's not talking about material blessings or things at all. Something I was surprised to learn is that in the... ESV translation of the New Testament, 112 times they use the word bless, blessed, or blessing, and not a single one of those 112 uses are connected with material prosperity. Instead, it says things like the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Or Luke 11.28, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Or Romans 4.7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Or James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. You see, true blessedness has nothing to do with the amount of stuff you have, the money in the bank or the toys in the garage Blessedness is an inner quality. It's an inner state of being. It's a deep sense of happy 
satisfaction in the Lord. It involves a feeling of rest for your soul and fulfillment and joy that's found in the presence of God in your life. And that kind of blessedness is actually the best because it can't be taken away by situations or circumstances. The world can't take that from you. The stock market can't touch it. The economy can't touch it. The government can't take it from you. Health issues can't take away from it. And the troubles of this life, the pains and heartaches are real, but they can't touch the deeper life in God. So let's make sure that we know what we're talking about when we hear blessed is the man. Don't picture a person with a perfect life, the dream house, and no problems. Instead, picture the person whose soul is at rest and who has an inner joy and fulfillment that this world can't offer them. And here's something else encouraging about this phrase. It is completely general. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the person. It doesn't say blessed is David or blessed is Solomon or insert any other famous biblical figure. The blessed life, this happy satisfaction of God is something that is available to anyone who walks the path of righteousness. God's blessing is not reserved for just a select handful of of people God really likes, or super Christians, whatever that might be. God isn't stingy with it, nor does he only have a little bit to go around. You see, God's grace and his peace, his mercy, his strength are abounding and overflowing. They're absolutely infinite. And this blessed life is available to anyone who chooses the path of blessing. And here's how the person finds this blessed life. It says, they walk not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So first, it's what they don't do. They don't associate with evil. Notice the three different verbs, walk, stand, and sit. Those are meant to combine to to reflect the entire course of life. Walking is a way in the Bible of referring to one's manner of life, how they how they live. So the blessed person doesn't live according to the counsel and advice of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. And when it says the way of sinners, the use of way also refers to the manner of living. The blessed person doesn't take up company and go down the same path as sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. The picture of sitting pictures someone in complete fellowship and agreement with these scoffers. And in a sense, a scoffer is the worst of the wicked. A scoffer not only rejects the word, but they also mock it. They ridicule it. They ridicule the righteous and the truth. But we're meant to combine those three lines together to get a picture of a life that is completely separate and disassociated from taking part in evil and wickedness. It's it's separated from walking down that path of the wicked. So let me ask you, how are you doing in separating yourself from evil? If life is all about choices, then how are you doing in day-to-day terms of choosing to turn away from sin and wickedness? I know when we hear the words, words like that, wicked, sinners, scoffers, uh, we automatically think in categories that are much worse than whatever we might do. We think of murderers, thieves, drug dealers, and other things. And maybe it's kind of a self-defense mechanism. But the truth is that the way of the wicked is just as much includes things like jealousy and gossip, hatred, rage, vulgar language, deceit, slander. 
lust, hurtful words, all those things we can be tempted uh, to do on a daily basis. Each one of us is faced multiple times each day with the choice to walk down the path of sin or the path of the righteous. Maybe today someone said something not so nice to you and automatically you're faced in that moment with a choice. Do you hold your tongue or do you retaliate? Do you try to get back at them with your words? Or maybe you hear so-and-so got a new boat. You want a boat, but the money isn't there. You're faced with two choices. Do you let jealousy creep in and, and grow bitter towards that person or do you choose contentment and to be happy for that person? There's so many random situations that life could throw at us any day where we're suddenly presented with that choice to go down one path or the other, and the scenarios are endless. And as Christians, we want to develop a severe allergy toward any form of sin, no matter how big or how small. We want to develop a real disgust and aversion to anything that has a hint of wickedness. The blessed man doesn't just go halfway. The blessed man doesn't set his standard of righteousness at the level of those around him. The blessed person seeks to have nothing to do with evil. That's what the blessed person does not do. But then here in verse 2, it tells us what the blessed person does. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Notice the phrase, the law of the Lord. In some cases, the law refers specifically to the law of Moses and those specific commandments. But in this case, the law of the Lord refers likely to the whole of God's ways and commands found in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. That does include the Mosaic law, but it also includes everything that God has taught his people and his ways and what he expects from his followers. God's law is God's word. It's appropriate for us to think about the entire Bible in this way. God's entire revelation of himself to his people. And notice the posture the blessed person has towards God's word. He, he does two things. He delights in it and he meditates on it. Could you describe yourself as someone who delights in God's word? Like you re it really brings you joy and happiness to read it to think on it, to discuss it with others. And be honest with yourself. It's okay if you think, well, I don't know if I could use the word delight. Do you enjoy spending time in the Bible? And if the answer is no, then I want to give you two ways to grow your delight in God's Word. The first is to come to the Bible expectantly. Come to the Bible expectantly. This is about your mindset and expectation. If you come to the Bible with the mindset that, I, I'm not going to be able to understand this. I don't know if there's any point in reading this. Then chances are you're not going to get much out of it. You're not going to understand it. It's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy when you come and approach the Bible that way. Don't come to the Bible expecting defeat and frustration. Instead, come with the mindset that no time spent in the Bible is ever wasted. I've often regretted not carving out time to read the Bible. There's days where I've thought, you know what, I have completely failed and, and let other things get in the way. But I have never regretted spending time in the Bible. I've never spent time in God's Word and afterwards thought, you know what, I, I probably should have done something else. I should have scrolled on Facebook instead of that, or I should have been mowing the yard. Those other things can, can have their own time, but I've never regretted 
spending time in the Word. It's never wasted. And come to the Bible with that expectation and claiming the truth of Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Come to the Bible with a conviction that, that this isn't just any other book. This, this isn't just any other book on the shelf, but it's actually living and active. Come to the Bible saying, God, even if I don't feel like anything is happening, even if I don't experience these light bulb moments or any epiphanies, I know that your word is alive and active and doing work on my heart and mind in this moment. See, oftentimes the battle starts in our mind and then works its way down to our heart. So come to the Bible expectantly. And then second, keep reading it. Keep reading it. If you want to grow in your delight in God's word, keep reading. Sometimes, it, maybe if you've been away from the Bible for a while, or maybe you're new to reading the Bible at all, it's almost like uh, getting into exercise or, or any kind of uh, working out routine. At first, there's a, there's a little bit of a hump where you got to get over that to where things start to actually feel enjoyable. And sometimes you just got to keep working out. You got to keep running until you like it. And, and practically, that's sometimes the way it is reading the Bible. Just keep reading, and the Word will do the work. And if you're struggling to understand some things, then find some resources. Find some people that could help you understand and apply God's Word better. I know your pastor would love to have somebody come up and say, hey, I'm struggling understanding this part of the Bible or how to read this part of the Bible. Do you have any, any tips or any resources? A pastor would love to be able to help you with that. And there's all, all kinds of resources out there. We live in an abundance of resources today to help us understand God's word. And here's what I've experienced in my own life, that the more I understand the Bible, the more I enjoy it. As I grow in my understanding of the story of redemption, I get more excited about reading it and thinking on it. As I grow in my understanding of different theological truths, then it opens up a greater appreciation for the Bible and the God of the Bible. And so as you understand the Bible more as a whole, it'll help you understand the individual parts as well and vice versa. So if you find yourself in the place where your relationship with God is maybe grown a little cold or grown a little stale, don't back off. Instead, keep reading. Go even deeper. And as you do, ask God to develop in you a love for his word, a greater love for his word. And that is a prayer that God will answer every time. And with that delight, then comes the second thing the blessed man does. He delights in it, and then he meditates on it day and night. The day and night picture someone who's reflecting on God's truth throughout the course of his daily walk. Your relationship with God's word doesn't begin and end with the time you literally spend sitting down reading it. It doesn't have to be confined to just that moment. You can take it with you in your heart and in your mind throughout the day. I think of it like you could marinate meat for grilling. You pour marinade on, on the chicken or the steak or whatever meat and you let it sit and soak and the longer the better. 
You, you want that marinade to penetrate and soak into the meat in such a way that it flavors the entire thing. And in the same way, you can let your heart, you can let your mind marinate in God's word. Another word that comes to mind is the word ruminate. In high school, I had an English teacher that she loved to tell us, encourage us to ruminate on what we would read for English class. She wanted us to think deeply about it, not just say, oh yeah, I know my eyes hit every word on the page, but to be able to know what it said and know what it meant. And some of you are probably familiar with that word and that it originates from animals that ruminate or, or chew their cud. And to a human, that's, that's probably a little gross. Um, thankfully, we just ate. Um, but an animal like a cow can chew their food, swallow it, partially digest it, and bring it back up to chew on it some more. Uh, it's kind of weird, but that's how God made them. And you can find all the way back in the 1500s, people were already using that term to refer to thinking deeply or thinking in a contemplative way. So you can ruminate on God's word in a sense. You don't have to stop uh, thinking about it and chewing on it when you stop reading and close the Bible. You can continue to think on it, dwell on it, pray about it, discuss it with someone else. You mull it over in your mind throughout the day. And you do all that knowing that the Holy Spirit is also working in you at the same time, illuminating your heart and mind to those truths and bringing it to bear upon your, upon your life. You see, we have a secret weapon when we study God's word. We have the Spirit of God with us. Never forget that as a Christian, the Spirit of God has come to dwell inside of you. And one of the things that Jesus promised to his disciples that the Holy Spirit would do is that he would guide them into all truth. So have confidence that if you're a follower of Christ, through the power of the indwelling Spirit, you can read the Bible and understand it. Now, there's other resources that can help you uh, understand it even more uh, and even on deeper levels, but the spirit within you is doing work in your life as you open God's word. So never forget that, that you're never reading the Bible alone. The spirit is with you when you do it. And all those things combine to help it marinate and penetrate deeper into our hearts and minds. So where does all that lead? Where does all this lead? Why is that person who does this, why are they called blessed? Well, here's the outcome. Here's the result of the person who's separating themselves from evil and instead delighting in and meditating on God's word. Verse 3 says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. What a beautiful picture of a healthy, productive life of the blessed person. The psalmist describes him like a tree that's planted by a stream. And that's a great place for a tree to be planted because a stream is giving it a continual source of nourishment and life. It is continually giving it life-giving water that it needs to grow. And for the Christian, the stream is God's word. It is water for our weary souls. It is nourishment for the parched, dry ground of our hearts. And we want to be planted firmly in God's word and continually go to it for nourishment. We don't take occasional trips to it. We don't just take a vacation to it. It should be part of our daily diet because we need its life-giving power. 
And that also leads to yielding fruit in season. A healthy tree is a fruitful tree. It's a productive tree. We've lived in Baldwin County for four years now, and every year I've planted at least uh, one new fruit tree. We've never lived somewhere where uh, fruit trees grew so well uh, as, as they do here, and I, I've loved planting fruit trees, especially satsuma trees. I love satsumas. But if I plant a fruit tree and it doesn't eventually give me fruit, then there's something wrong. That's a problem. Even if it's a, a wonderfully uh, green tree, a, a nice-looking tree, if it doesn't produce fruit, then it's going to get cut down. It's not uh, living out its purpose. It's not serving the purpose of a fruit tree. You see, a healthy tree is a fruitful tree. Jesus says this in John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. There should be a direct correlation between your Bible intake and the fruit you produce. The more of God's word that goes in you, the more fruit that should come out of you. And if you're not bearing fruit, then there's something wrong. Then there's some kind of condition, some, something that's unhealthy. And what kind of fruit is this that we are meant to bear? Well, the, the fruit Christians bear is a combination of both good works and the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's a fruit that comes out both in our character and in our actions. And that happens as God's Word changes our heart and changes our mind, and it works itself out in how we talk and how we act and how we feel and think about others. And that also leads, it says, to the leaf not withering. The leaf doesn't wither. This is sustainable health. It's not like dumping a bucket of water on a tree in the desert and giving it just a jolt of life or a temporary boost of energy. Some people do kind of treat the Bible like that. It's almost like one of those glass covers that says break in case of emergency. That's how they treat the Bible. It's over there it, you know, only if life really falls apart. But the blessed person is planted in the stream, planted in God's word, where they're getting this constant nourishment leading to sustainable health and fruitfulness. You see, God's word is a never ending source of life for his people. And God's not stingy. God's not miserly in his provisions and nourishment that's available in his word. The word is a stream that never runs dry. It's a source of life and hope and peace and comfort and empowerment and motivation that is constantly available and accessible. All we have to do is tap into it, plant ourselves in it, delight in it, meditate on it, so let's summarize this blessed person so far. They separate themselves from evil, and instead they delight in God's word. They meditate on it continually. The blessed life is really determined by the place of God's word in your life. Will it be the center or will it be on the outskirts? Will it be your daily diet or will it be just an occasional snack? Will it be your guide and compass for life or will it you just go to it for some spiritual advice every once in a while. The decision is up to you. And the choice you make regarding God's word in your life will determine whether you're a fruitful disciple or a fruitless disciple, if there is such a thing.
So that's option one. You live according to God's word and you follow the path of righteousness that leads to the blessed life. But what happens to those who choose option two and that live their own way? Look at verse four. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So in these last verses, the psalm takes a long-term view that reaches past this life into eternity, actually all the way to judgment day. You see, these two paths lead to two very different outcomes in eternity. In this short life, the evil and wicked may rule and reign. Those who follow their own path may achieve temporary success and pleasure in this life. After all, verse 1 describes the wicked as giving counsel and having seats of authority. But in the end, what happens? It says they're like chaff. They're like that light outer covering on wheat. And as the grain is beaten and threshed, the chaff falls off. And the chaff is so light that even just the blowing wind can take it away. That's how the wicked are described. That's the opposite of the tree that's firmly planted in the stream. The wicked may seem to have power and establishment in this life, but when it comes to the judgment, all they've achieved, all they've accomplished, all they've built up in life will be reduced to nothing just as easily as that chaff is blown away. And though the wicked may stand in power in this life, at the judgment day, they'll be brought low in submission They'll have no place among the assembly and gathering of God's people. They choose their own way, and that leads to judgment and destruction. Now look at verse 6. It says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the perfect conclusion to the psalm. It mentions the two ways, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. In the day of judgment, there will be a great sifting and separation. And it says, The Lord knows who is his. And for his people, there will be justice, but for those who rejected him, there'll be judgment. Reward for the righteous, but retribution for the wicked. And here's the encouragement for us. No matter how things may look in this life, the future belongs to the godly. The blessed man, the blessed woman may experience difficulty in this life, suffering in this life, But this broken world will one day give way to everlasting joy for those who choose the way of the righteous. And now we need to bring this psalm into focus as people who have the entire Bible, the entire revelation of God. How do you choose the way of the righteous? Where is the starting line for the path of the blessed life? Well, it begins with Jesus, who is the word of God in the flesh. Do you realize how blessed and privileged we are to live in the age that we live in, to live on this side of the cross? For David, who wrote this psalm, he only had the law. He was meditating on Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's what he planted his heart in with his mind fixed on the promises of God to come. David is like those mentioned in Hebrews 11 that saw the promises of God Far away, but they died well before they came to fulfillment. But for us, we don't just have the law. We have the prophets. We have the gospels. We have the epistles. We have the final revelation. We have the gospel accounts that give us the life of our Lord and Savior. We have the history of the first Christians in the first church. We have the glorious 
truths of Romans and Ephesians. We have the incredible Christology of Hebrews. We have the mysterious yet beautiful hope of Revelation. So then how much more should we as 21st century Christians be immersed in God's word and have it in the center of everything? Alberta Church, the choice is clear. The path of blessing, the way of the righteous, runs straight through God's word. So keep the word at the center of your life. Ask God to help grow you in your delight and hunger for it. Put in the time and energy and effort into reading it, understanding it, living it out. And as the saying goes, the goal is to get into the word so that the word gets into you. And here's the amazing thing. When you as individual Christians are keeping the word at the center of your life, then what happens when you come together as a church like you are now? It multiplies exponentially that power and potential. It overflows from your mouths and your hands. It makes a church that is bearing much fruit. And that's my prayer for you, that you would continue to bear much fruit as you stay planted in the stream of life found in God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you so much that that through your word, you reveal to us the way that we can find salvation, the way that we can come to know you as our Lord and Savior. But you don't just stop at giving us the gospel and leaving us to figure out life on our own, but God, you have given us everything we need to know how to live a life that's pleasing to you. This blessed life of flourishing and fulfillment and peace and satisfaction and hope is accessible through diving into your word and staying firmly planted in it. Lord, I pray that, that those here would, if they haven't already, commit themselves to, to being planted firmly in God's word. God, and if, even if they've been studying it for decades, that they would reaffirm that commitment to continually growing in their delight in your word. And Lord, as they do so, as this church does that together, that, Lord, they would bear much fruit and that the blessing of God would be heavy upon this church. We ask these things in your name. Amen.